It was wonderful having uh, Zoe and Asher up here on the platform. Asher's playing bass, Zoe's singing with us. Um, I'm really, really, really proud and thankful of our students in this church. Asher is a sophomore at LHS. Can I get those lights on, please, back there? Will you turn those lights on? I appreciate it. Uh, Asher is a sophomore at LHS and quite a phenomenal golfer. Uh, and and uh, Zoe is a seventh grader at RMS. Uh, and they have been serving faithfully for a long time in our youth ministry on Monday nights with the band, on our Wednesday nights with the band, and full participation in everything we do. Uh, and Zoe has recently started a Bible study on campus with other 7th and 8th grade kids, and they get together and they share their journals. We've, we've taught how to do the flip journals uh, uh, based on their, their daily Bible reading, and she has started to lead that on her campus there as a 7th grader. And, and it, it's so wonderful in our junior high and our high school group on Monday nights and Wednesday nights. We're doing, we, we start the teaching time, break it out into groups, and have the students share what they have been reading and journaling and how they've been journaling, how God has been speaking to them every week. And it is amazing the faithfulness, the dedication, and the receptivity that these young people have to read in Scripture and hearing from God and, and, and actually getting something from His Word. It, it's just, it's fantastic to see what God is doing in the midst of our junior high and high school students. I'm so proud of them. It's so great for so many of us to get to work with them. Um, and I'm so thankful for what God's doing through this church with this, uh, this young generation. It is fantastic. And I'm telling you, man, as they continue to follow God like they're learning to do now, we're, we're in really good hands. They are dynamic and fantastic young men and women. They're growing up in the Lord. It is, it's beautiful to get to be part of it. See, and I'm thankful for a church that invests so much in them. Uh, and and, and it, it just, it shows me more and more and more of what God is doing. Um, as, as I see what he's doing with the young people here, as I uh, work with church planners all across the country and parts of the world, and I just got these from our, our main man in Cuba named Oniel. Back in, I think, 2008, I led the first Discovery Center there, which is the program that we run all over, all over the world to, to spot and identify high-level leaders that God has set aside for church planting. And O'Neill was the first one of the, part of the first group that we did that. It was all illegal and under the radar, and it was so much fun uh, at the time in Cuba. And O'Neill got the green light, and he just started running with it, and now he's running our network of church plants on the island. Uh, this church that he's meeting in there, we help pay for. We send them the funds for it. They put the floor in the second, the roof to be a, uh, the floor of the second story. And it is absolutely full of people who have come to faith uh, through his ministry. And they're meeting just like we are right now. They took communion. They take it just like we do. And uh, to, to watch God continue to move in his unstoppable kingdom all over the world with people who are willing to, to throw their lives into it. They, they, they just got done this last week with an evangelistic push and, and they, they got into this one neighborhood that has no evangelical churches in it and 53 people accepted Jesus and that's gonna be the seedbed for the next new church that they're gonna plant. And when they plant churches in Cuba, uh, like they do in Guatemala, they actually build the church. And so uh, they're actively trying to do that now 
Um, they do a once-a-month ministry for the students in the area, and they're coming to faith, and God is moving in incredible ways to reach uh, the people on the island. I saved that picture for last because I knew once I put that little boy up there, none of you are going to pay attention to me anymore. <laughs> All your little hearts, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, go, yeah, clap for that. That's good stuff. Um, but God just continues to move and to move and to move because, one, he promised to. He promised to. And two, he's called his people to do it. And, and, and his call on his people to do all of this is exactly what we see in Acts chapter 1. So in this series, Unstoppable, going through the book of Acts, we're going to be in Acts 22 today. But we have to remind ourselves of how this whole thing started. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, ever-widening circles. Paul began, this, was, this was the mandate from Jesus to his disciples. So if you're going to follow me, this is what you got to do. Paul began living this, fleshing this out in his own life in Acts 22. That's what we're going to look at today. But, but right up front, it begs the question, if this is the mandate, if this is the task, if this is the mission, if the, what we see in the New Testament, what we've seen in the book of Acts, what we've seen of the disciples, what we've seen of the Apostle Paul, if that's our template, we have to ask ourselves the question, how, are, how do our lives compare? If we don't look at this and say, this is the template for us, if we don't translate that into now, how does my life compare to the template? This remains some odd thing that someone else understands, that someone else practices. It doesn't become real. And so as we look at all that we have to say, if this is our template, how does my life compare to, to what I've seen here? If Acts 1.8 is the mandate, we have to assess how we are at fulfilling that mandate. Not just how our church does, but how I individually am doing at fulfilling that mandate. If we're going to call ourselves disciples, we have to assess what is our witness. If we're going to call ourselves disciples, that's what we just said, you will be my witnesses. That's the mandate. If we're going to call ourselves his disciples, at some point we have to ask ourselves, what does my witness look like? Listen, it has to look more than just being a good person. Jesus did not die on the cross for you to be a good person. Jesus did not die on the cross for you or I to be a moral person. You can be a moral person without Jesus. Us being good people, us being moral people in a corrupt world is not why Jesus died. We have to consider what has been the biblical standard for disciples. And that has to become our standard. And so we have to assess. What is my, if I call myself a Christian, what does my discipleship look like? Now listen, I was thinking about this this week and it came up with this idea, this, the, what I call the law of imitation. 
Now, although we all want to think and we try to convince our kids that they're unique and special, the truth is we're all a lot of imitators. We, we all are, every one of us. We're just imitators. And we're going to imitate one of two things, every one of us. We're either going to imitate culture or we're going to imitate Christ. And it's real easy to imitate culture. All you got to do is grow up in America. And we end up just imitating the culture that we live in if we're not careful. Same worries, same stresses, same debt. Hmm? And so we have to choose very wisely because we don't, by default, imitate Christ. We have to choose wisely and choose to learn the way of Christ. And the way of Christ is revealed to us through his word. All through Acts, what we've seen, starting with Peter and now with Paul, all they did was simply imitate what they saw in Christ, what they saw in faithful disciples. All they did was imitate the way of Christ. They simply did what they saw done. They didn't try to figure it out for them all new. They didn't try to create and come up with something. All they did was choose who they would imitate. And we have to do the same. For example, in Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a, 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 a crippled person. And all he did was do exactly what Jesus, what he saw Jesus do when Jesus walked the earth. That's all he did, just copy. In Acts chapter 9, uh, Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. All he did, almost the same words of exactly what he saw Jesus do in raising someone from the dead. In Acts 22, Paul will have a chance to address an angry mob. All he did was simply say in the beginning of it the exact same words that he heard Stephen say when Stephen was the first martyr as recorded in Acts 7. All they did was take the template and apply it to their lives and just copy the template. That's all they did. And so what I'm learning is what you have to learn too is that as we learn to walk faithfully, Simply copy what has been faithfully done. That's the key. That's the, that's, the, that's the key to this whole thing. As we're learning to walk faithfully, just copy what's been faithfully done by Christ and by his disciples. You follow me? How do we know what's been faithfully done? We look at it in the, in the Bible. And whatever we see here is the template. And so we have to ask ourselves, not am I a good moral person, not Am I good? not? We have to ask ourselves, does my life match what I see in these pages? That's the template. And so in Acts chapter 22, if you have a Bible, please turn there on our app. Click the little reference. It'll take you to the, uh, the, the Bible app that we're looking at in Acts chapter 22. Let me just set the stage. Paul has been wanting through all these three missionary journeys to get back to Jerusalem, and he's finally there. And while he's there, he's talking about the Messiah to come for the Jews and understanding that it is now includes Gentiles. And he's talking about that around the temple. And this mob of angry religious leaders and Jews gather together because they think he's desecrating the temple, and he's not. But the, their penalty for desecration of the temple or the temple area, the temple grounds, is death. And so they're, they're, they're making plans to kill him, to stone him to death. And the Romans, who are the governmental agency of the land, they have authority over almost all things. 
they see what's going on and they realize that if these people murder, kill Paul this way, that they're going to have an uprising on their hands and they don't want that. They need to keep the peace. They know that the festival is, a, is, is around this time and the, the, the city is swelling with population and they just need to keep the peace. And so the Roman soldiers rush in and they arrest Paul to save him from the mob. Later, they're going to try to flog him just as they did to Jesus before he was crucified. Not yet, but later they're going to try that before they realize that Paul is a Roman citizen. Now, here's the key. Being a Roman citizen, you were not allowed to put a hand on a Roman citizen without a trial first. And so once they realize he's a Roman citizen, right before they're going to flog him, they put the brakes on. Because to put a hand on a Roman citizen without a proper trial, the person who put the hand on that Roman citizen would suffer the death penalty to be killed themselves regardless of the crime. And so the, all this is, is shown about, and it's all happening, just bam, 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 bam. And finally, Paul finally realizes, before you put a hand on me, you need to know I am a Roman citizen, and all the brakes stop. And Paul asks to address this mob that wants to take his life. And that's, what, that, that's where we are in Acts 22. And before we get to the Acts 22, verse 1, we got to get to Acts 21, verse 40, the very last one, because it bleeds into it. And so follow along. This is what the Bible says. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them, so he's going to address all these people. He said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. Why is that important? It's important because of this. Because back in Acts 7, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, the disciple Stephen, that was, that, was, that was brought into the church to, to, to do ministry in the church, was talking about the Messiah and was preaching about who Christ really was, Jesus. And a mob gathered to stone him for blasphemy. And he had a chance, almost in the exact place and probably with some of these exact people, to address the crowd. Guess how he started in Acts 7, verse 2. To this, he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. In Acts 7, verse 58, the Bible tells us that a young man was at his stoning who was holding the coats of those who were going to throw the stones. And that young man was Paul. And so he's there in that moment. He's watching a disciple of Jesus going to be stoned to death. And he hears what this disciple says. And he starts his speech with brothers and fathers, listen to me, so that when Paul has the chance to address those same witnesses at the same place, guess how he starts? Brothers and fathers, listen. Listen, here's how this goes down. None of us have done this life before. This is our first shot at it, right? This is our first time figuring out how, what it means to follow Jesus. Same thing with Paul. Same thing with Peter. Same thing with Stephen. And all they did was, caught, was be faithful to what had been faithfully be done. Paul said, I don't know what to do right now. I know what I'll do. I'll do what they did. And that's what it is to be a disciple. And so we have to look at this and say, what did they do? That's what I have to do. And part of what I think Paul was doing is what he would tell the church in Ephesus to do. He, he, he writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, redeeming the time 
because we live in evil days. What I think was happening for Paul in that moment of addressing the crowd and using the exact words that Stephen used, I think he was redeeming that event. Do you know what it means to redeem? Anybody? To buy back, to get back. Redeem means to buy back that which was lost or that which was given over. And, and one of the thing I th- things I think Paul is doing is that he's redeeming the loss of Stephen's life. He's buying it back for good. He, he's saying, I'm gonna take what I learned in seeing Stephen's faith and seeing Stephen's witness, and I'm gonna do the same here in hopes that somebody might be saved, and I'm gonna make his death an opportunity for life. I'm gonna redeem it, that evil act. Do you, you understand? And this is what excites me about this whole thing is this is exactly what God does for those of us who love him. Paul will say in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God what? God redeems them. He works together for the redemption of it all, for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. This is what God does. He rede- all that pain of your past, God redeems. All those disappointments of your past, God redeems. All that heartache, God redeems. All that abuse, yeah, God redeems. All that injustice, absolutely, God redeems. He buys it back for those who love and are called according to his purpose. And so in the verses that follow in Acts 22, we see our template on how to be and what it means to be a witness. Just as Jesus said, we're supposed to be in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses to your huddles. And in Acts 22, we see the template that Paul gives us for being that witness to our huddles. Part of, let me, let me take, give you a real simple definition of what it means to be a witness. Don't let that word freak you out. What it means for you to be a witness is that it means that you tell your story. That's all it means. You just tell your story. The great thing about you telling your story, who can argue with you? It's your story. And Paul gives us a template of what that is. And so I'm going to give you four things how you are to be a witness, how I'm to be a witness, okay? Write these down, take pictures of it. It's on our app. Go there. Here's the four things. One, you tell your story, who I was before Jesus. Two, you tell your story, then I met Jesus. Three, you tell your story, this is my response to Jesus. Four, you tell your story, this is my mission for Jesus. And this is exactly the template Paul gives us. So Paul outlines it. Look at what he says. In verses 3, 4, uh, uh, three, four and 5, uh, he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of uh, Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Uh, as also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He says, I'm gonna tell you who I was before Jesus. I was. Verse three says, I was, I was two times. Verse four says, I persecuted. That's who I used to be. Verse five says, I obtained letters so I could persecute. That's who I used to be. All he's doing is telling his story on who he was before Jesus. And that's the first step of being a witness, fulfilling our mandate by God is to be a witness. And the first thing you do when you're a witness is you tell about your was. 
Everybody, everyone in here has a was. Right? We all have a was. I was. Some of us had a lot of wases. I was. I was an angry man. I was a drunk. I was addicted. I was a gossip. I was worldly. I was a worrier. I was self-absorbed. I was arrogant. I was a hothead. I was stressed. And whether it's porn, gluttony, or grudges, we all have a was. Here's the problem. If your was still is, maybe you've not allowed Jesus full access to your life. When Jesus enters, he turns is's into was's. But if some of your was's are still your is's, maybe you haven't let Jesus all the way in to change your is's to your was's. You understand? No. So, hey, some of you are still dealing with your is's and they should have been your was's. Because you have not let Jesus into all of your life. And the, reason, the only reason we have is's that stay is's for 10, 20, 30 years that should have long ago been was's is because we've not let Jesus do his redeeming work in us and given him full access to everything. When he does that, is's become was's. And the best witness that you will ever be is when you tell enough of your was to get to now Jesus. Now, hear me. I don't... We shouldn't tell all of our wases. I would recommend never telling everybody all your wases. But you got to tell enough of your was to get then Jesus. You can't just, now Jesus. Now Jesus necessitates a was. And so as we are witnesses, you will be my witnesses to your huddle. You have to tell. I have, we have to tell enough of the was, not too much of the was, because we don't want to glorify the was, but enough of the was to get to Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul did. I was, I was, I persecuted, I obtained, I was. But I don't want to talk about my was. I want to talk about what? Then I met Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 6, 7, and 8. About noon, as they came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He says, I, I was, and then I met Jesus. If you have come out of a was, you know the liberation of then Jesus right? If you've come out of a was, if you have the story, I was, but now I am. You know the liberation that comes from being freed from your wases. And when that has been your story, you can't keep your mouth shut. The greatest thing about this is guess what? Your huddle knows your was. Those who are close to you know all about your wases. And because they're close to you, they know your wases is your pastas. And that now all things are new. 
See, the greatest verse about a, na- a-, a was to a now, Jesus, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, the now has come. The new creation has come. The old is a was. The new is Jesus. And, and, and so in order to be a witness, I, I need to tell you enough about my was to get you to now Jesus. All of you have a was. Embrace it. Don't celebrate it. Tell enough of it to get your huddle to your Jesus. And if that isn't the texture and the tenor and the practice of our lives, we are failing at the mandate of Jesus if we call ourselves a Christian. We might be a good person. We might be a moral person, but we're a failure as far as the mandate of Christ. And if you are here, I am not at all content at making us a good moral church. I will never preach and teach to make us a good moral church. There's a lot of those in America, and that's why America's going to hell. I will preach and teach to fulfill the mandate of Scripture. Follow me? I was. I met Jesus. The third part of that whole thing is this is my response to Jesus. And this is what Paul did, the first part of verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? I mean, but Paul goes from, from, in this story, like his experience. You read in Acts chapter 9, I think, he goes, he goes from being a persecutor in the church to, what do you want me to do now? God, I'm yours. Like an immediate change, in the blink of an eye, in an instant. It wasn't this long, drawn out, I'm learning all this. I went from, who are you, Lord, to what do you want me to do? Give me a directive. It's amazing, and it's that fast. And you know that Jesus has entered your life when your first response is, what do you want from me? Not, what can I get from you, God? The response of now, what can you do for me, God, is the response of a religious person. The response of what can I do for you, Lord, is the response of a disciple. And that's Paul's immediate response, an immediate change of life. And it reminds you so much of Isaiah 6, 8. What does Isaiah 6, 8 say? You Bible students know, if you don't know where it lives, you know what it says. What does it say? That's what it says exactly, Charlotte. Thank you. Isaiah says, when I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I said, here am I, send me. He had no idea what he just said yes to. He just knows he wanted the directive from God. No request to be used in any particular way. It it, it wasn't like the bull telling the potter how to use the bull. The bull just said, I'm a bull. Whatever you can do with a bull, do it. It was simply, God, here I am. I'm waiting for your directive. Go ahead. When Jesus says, you'll be my witness, this is what he's talking about. Give enough of your was to get him to Jesus and then respond. What is it, Lord? And every time we do this, we put ourselves in a position to have a mission for Jesus. And so Jesus tells him. He asks, what shall I do? Jesus says, get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. 
Here's what I know. The moment we say, I was, then Jesus, what's my directive? The moment that happens, God gives us an assignment. If you have come to faith in Jesus, whether you realize it yet or not, God has given you an assignment that is specific for you. The moment you let Jesus in your life, he gives you an assignment. Here's what we have to understand about his assignments, though. Your assignment is not about your self-fulfillment. It's about his kingdom advancement. My assignment from God is not about my own life fulfillment. My assignment from God is about his kingdom's advancement. And that is unstoppable. God's given you an assignment if you've accepted him. It's not about you. It's my kingdom come, my will be done. And when disciples realize that their God-given assignment is not about them, it's about him, the church becomes unstoppable. Now, you, you want to know what, 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 what your key is to fulfilling your God-given assignment? Okay, this is for only those who want to know. The key to fulfilling your God-given assignment is to simply take the next single step. What God told Paul, go, you will be told. Not I'm going to tell you right now. He said, you take one step. Listen, remember what I'm going to tell you right now. God gives single step directives. He does not give roadmaps. He doesn't give you the destination. He doesn't even give you the journey. He gives single step directives. Someone, I know this is going to hit for somebody. You already know your single step directive from God. What's the next one act of obedience? But you've been hesitant to take it and you've neglected it. God will not tell you anymore of his plan and will for your life or your assignment until you take that one single step directive and obey it. Is that clear? I, I, I want to I tell you just as I close up this part of, of chapter 22, what this whole thing leads to, what it always involves. This is before, who I was before Jesus, then I met Jesus, This is my response to Jesus, and this is my mission. This whole thing leads to this, verses 14 and 15. And he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you. This is is Paul telling what God told him. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. This is what all this leads to. To know his will, to hear his voice, so that you and I will be his witness. To tell our story, to tell how we met Jesus, and our response and assignment to him. 
This is who I was before, then I met Christ, and this is what he's called me to. That's our story. That's our witness. And all this stuff leads to that. He, know his will. It's through his word. Hear his voice. It's through his word. And tell your story. That's the mandate of Acts 1.8. I, I want you all, if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple, I want you to understand how you share your faith, how to do it, because you've got to learn this. And you've got to practice it. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to share this with 15 guys that I've invited to, to be a part of my world and share some of this stuff with them. We're going to walk through this in, in detail in a few weeks. But, but I, want to, I want to let you in on it too. I taught a class a couple of years ago, unfiltered and uncensored, that I did on, on evangelism, on this very thing. And it's on our resource page. It's on our podcast. And biblically, there's, there, there's, there's a few different ways that people are naturally gifted to share their faith, to tell their story. And you need to understand how you're gifted to do that. And, and if you want to, uh, to understand that more clearly, you go to the, wherever you get your podcasts. This is on Spotify. And that one flip side deal with the orange little flame I circled, you click on that one, not the big FL, but the one, the other little one with the orange. And it takes you to our specials. And I did a whole teaching on unfiltered, uncensored evangelism. I don't hold any punches. And I just tell you, this is how you know how you're gifted to do this. If you want to know, get a jump on it and go to that and listen to that. Understand how God puts you together. But every single disciple of Christ needs to know how to do this and needs to practice it regularly. It's exactly what Paul told his protege, Timothy. He said, you, Tim, keep your head in all situations. Boy, I think we missed the bus on that a couple years ago lost our ever-loving minds. Guess what? Election is coming up again. Don't lose your minds again. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, right? Look at what he tells him. He can do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. That's the command. Do the work. It means you put in the work to just develop it, to discover it and develop it. You put in the work to practice it. You put in the work. We, we got to think in two ways all the time. Who can I invite to flip side and who can I introduce to Jesus and put in the work to be the witness? That's the mandate. That's the template. That's the standard. And we have to assess the standard to, to our actuality. How are we doing? Some really well. Some not so much. The standard doesn't change. And I love how this whole thing wraps up in verse 16. In verse 16, this is, this is Paul telling God's response. Well, now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. This is what I think God would say to all of his people right now. What are you waiting for? Get up. Get your life right. And get on mission. What are you waiting for? This is how he wraps it up. Paul, you know enough. You got your story. What are you waiting for? Get busy. Get your life right. And get busy with your mission. Get right by faith followed by obedience and then get busy. Say, so get right. 
I just said, say, get right. Okay, respond now. Say, get right. Now say, get busy. Now practice saying that like you mean it and are passionate about it. It's the only reason you're still drawing a breath. Get passionate and amped up about a lot of crap that doesn't matter and won't last for eternity. This does, this will. So get right and get busy. And I'm telling you, once you've understood this incredible, amazing, unrelenting, reckless, wild love of God, it infects you. And it pulls you, not out of duty and not out of obligation, but it pulls you, this love pulls you into getting right and getting busy because I know that there are people in my huddle and there are people in this world that this is what they're dying for and they're dying in ignorance because they don't even know yet. And the Bible says, how can they believe on the one they've not heard and how can they hear if no one tells them, get right, get busy? Billy, can I get you to give me an amen for that? Amen. Thank you, Billy. Listen, this is the template. This is the model. And this is your charge. This is my charge. Open yourself up to this crazy, relentless, wild love of God and let it infect your life to pull you getting right and getting busy. You've got a story to tell. you got a mandate to tell. Live on mission, yeah? Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us so much you sent your son to die on the cross so our sin could be forgiven so that we could have eternal life. Thank you that you give us a charge to be on mission with you. Thank you that you change our wases into into brand new things. Thank you that I don't want to stay in the past of our was. That you create new creations out of us, that you redeem all that, all the wases. That you buy them back for your glory and for our blessing. Father, do that. God, I believe that you got people right here, right now. I believe you got people right here, right now that are willing to, in the beginning here, say, God, I'm sorry that I've been so passionate and, 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 and so focused on so many things that don't last more than your kingdom. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been fearful, that I've been timid, that I've been apathetic about telling about my was and not ever getting to you. God, I believe you got people here right now that are realizing both your love for them and the call and your mission on their lives. Hear their prayer. Know their heart. They're asking you, God, for boldness. They're asking you for authority. They're asking you for opportunity. They're asking you right now 
They're committing themselves to you to be a disciple of you, not just a good person, not just a moral person, but a disciple living on mission to tell their story, their huddle. That's the desire of their heart. Know that in them right now and call that up out of them. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would call that up out of them, that you would rise that up within them that you would create in us such a zeal and a firmer for the mission that you've placed on our lives that we wouldn't be able to keep our mouth shut and more than that, we wouldn't want to keep our mouth shut. Thank you for the redemption that you've, give, that you've given to buy back all the crap from our past and make us new. Allow us to let you in to change our wases from what was into new creations now. God, I believe with my whole heart that you are not patient or you are not slow as some understand slow but you are patient waiting because you want all people to come to repentance in you so allow us to live on this earth as long as we can be about that mission God, I believe that they will believe if they hear but I believe we've got to be the ones to speak so they can And so, God, we stand here, we sit here, we hear in this moment. Crying out to you because of your great love. Infuse us with that so much that we choose to passionately and purposely and pointedly live on mission. God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. That we not try to be good moral people anymore, but passionate disciples. That's your call. That's your mandate. That's what we screen in Scripture, and that's our commitment. Your love is amazing. It is unending. It is unrelenting. Unleash it on us and through us others. Love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.